I am extremely grateful that uh, Kevin is willing to teach for me uh, this morning. It always is a tremendous help. I want to wait till the end. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, before you say that, I'm, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I'm just kidding. As of now, I am extremely <laughs> grateful. But it's always a huge help to me. It, it enabled uh, Mary and I to enjoy this week with my family and my brother and Alicia and also allows me to get some other things done that, uh, for the church that need to be done. So thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Hey, good morning, everyone. So I was reading a book this week, and it was a pastor who was talking. He said he loved preaching after the room is filled with praise. And how cool is that worship time? Can we just give a hand for our worship team? Yeah. Oh, man. You want to come up to the pulpit and be pumped up because of what God's already done. And actually, um, uh, I do um, have to say to speak on the Sunday following Thanksgiving is always really, really encouraging because I love the holidays. I absolutely love the holidays. I love eating. I think that we actually, um, my wife is a great, great cook and she does fantastic, but we have more laughs at the dinner table. It's just a blast. And, um, and so I'm hoping your Thanksgiving was fantastic and I'm honored to have the opportunity to speak to you today. And it's kind of a tradition here at ALCF when the pastor doesn't speak that you have to say, yet to compel to make it clear that I am not the pastor. <laughs> but I want to tell you how grateful I am for our pastor. I've had the great pleasure to be a friend of Shane and Mary's for years, and watch them grow into such powerful Christ followers and leaders has been beyond cool. God has given Shane many gifts, but his ability to engage with others and ask insightful questions is, be, is off the chart as is his ability to care. Can we show Mary and Shane, I almost called him Sherry, Mary and Shane, <laughs> a little of our gratitude for them. So let's give Mary and Shane a hand. Come on, you can do better than that, come on! Yeah, yeah! I love you guys, man. I love you. I love you guys. I love you. All right. Amen. How cool is that? Um, and if this is your first weekend here, or your first morning here at ALCF, uh, please come back soon and hear Shane preach <laughs> God's word. Uh, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Uh, just a quick word about myself. As mentioned, I'm Kevin, and I am blessed beyond measure to be married to Lori and to be blessed every day to be the parent of Blaine and Haley and to be the father-in-law to Brandon. I was almost said the parent to Brandon, too, because I, I mean, he is one of, of our kids, and he is just an amazing. Um, I'm also blessed to work for Christian Children's Home Ohio and our family and ministries, which includes CCHO, our residential program, Encompass Christian Counseling, and Encourage Foster Care. This year, we will reach, um, and it's hard to tell because of how many people are connected to some of the families, but we will reach about 8,000 people for the gospel of Christ through our ministries. And uh, it was so cool last Sunday night because we got to welcome home Blaine for his summer break from Hillsong College in Sydney, Australia. Even though I did get to see the, Hills the Facebook Live last night, and they kick off Christmas pretty well at Hillsong, is all I'm telling you. They had like rides and fireworks. It was, of course, it was 70 degrees, 75 degrees as well. Um, but we're excited to have Blaine home but even more excited about God working through Blaine to build his kingdom. And um, I don't know why, but this past year, at the age of 52, 
God has blessed me with some of the greatest experiences in my whole life, including an amazing trip, mission trip to, Cuba, uh, to Peru, Chilca, Peru, uh, with uh, our brothers and sisters here. Um, and while there are many people who have left lasting impressions with me over this past year, including many in this room, um, there are three that stand out, and I want to talk to just briefly about them. The first one I met at the beginning of July at the Hillsong Conference in Sydney, Australia, when we took Blaine over to uh, go to school. Uh, Lori, and I, Lori, Blaine, and I were sitting at a table outside the arena that hosted the 1980 Summer Olympics. How cool was that? We were like, we were there. I didn't, I didn't do anything. But anyways, we offered, we offered a couple seats to these two ladies that had their hands full of lunch, and they had what looked like grandkids or, uh, and no place to sit. Um, these older ladies, we found out, were both over the age of 65, were sisters from China who had migrated to Australia over 20 years before. And I was so moved by their passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. This little lady, her name was Ronnie, it was spelled R-A-N-I-E, Ronnie Madden. Um, she came from a background of the Eastern religions, kept growing up in China. Um, yet she miraculously received Jesus and has a heart for the lostest of the lost. There's really no such word as lostest, but the lostest of the lost. And actually, it was really funny. She goes, I go anywhere and tell them about Christ because they can't hurt an older lady. I mean, nobody's <laughs> going to be like a mean person and like, you know, hit or hurt an older lady. Um, her courage was inspiring. I actually felt like we were in the presence of the saints. And then this little lady, this little spitfire follower of Christ, leaned over to Blaine, who she had met only about 20 minutes before, and said, if you ever need anything, let me know, that she would be his Australian-Asian grandma. And I think it was at this point that I knew that God would take care of him, no matter Blaine, where Blaine is called. And the funny thing is, Blaine still has her number in his phone, so that's even cool. The second person was I met a couple weeks ago. He was an 85-year-old man from Wichita Falls, Texas, um, who God, several years ago, led, um, led to write to children's homes all over the United States and ask if he could support them. Let me tell you, I've been involved in the ministry a long time. We have very few people that ask if we can support them. We replied, and CCHO is one of the many ministries he has supported to the tune of several hundreds of thousands of dollars helping children. I met him at his office that he still goes to every day, 85 years old, and I was struck by this humble servant who began his entrepreneurial career selling grape knee-high in front of his parents' Oklahoma ranch in 1940 at the age of eight. He showed me his master plumber certification that just expired at the end of October. He had been a master plumber for 67 years. 67 years. He is now also a master fisherman as his generosity is helping thousands of children be exposed to the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. I did get a chance to take him to lunch, and we went to his favorite place in Wichita Falls, Burger King, <laughs> where he got to his usual, a chicken sandwich and senior coffee, to the tune of $1.46. <laughs> there could be a reason he gives away hundreds of thousands of dollars. The third person I want to talk about, I met a couple Saturdays ago. Her name is Alexis, and she was placed at Christian Children's Home, Ohio, for three years. And here's just a portion of her story. She was born in Colombia. At the age of approximately five months, 
she was found and placed in an orphanage, parentless and without a birth certificate, nameless. At the age of three and a half, she was adopted by a family from Indiana who subjected her to both emotional and physical abuse. And just around the time Alexis turned six, her placement was disrupted, and Alexis went back into the child welfare system. When Alexis turned 13, a lot of her past began catching up to her. She began cutting herself and even tried to kill herself a couple times. The neglect, the abuse, the worthlessness was just too painful. After a series of psychiatric hospitalizations, she came to CCHO, and there she was able to realize that because of God's great love for her, she was not worthless, but rather her worth was immeasurable because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Alexis was not a nameless child found in the wilds of Columbia. She was a child of a king who knew her name before she was born. She was royalty. Three people, uniquely created and loved by the creator of the universe, Three continents, thousands of miles apart, broken and yet brutally redeemed by the same king, King Jesus. Conversely, this is also a difficult time, as it seems like we daily read headlines of Christians who commit serious character failures following their outspoken allegiance to godly values. Several years ago, our staff at CCHO was excited because some reality TV stars were coming to our campus in Worcester before they spoke at a local church that evening. I have to admit, I had not seen their show, and while I read about them in news and in preparation for their coming, I really did not know what to expect. It was actually quite the production while they were on our campus with cameras following them around, and upon meeting them, I found them to really be just quite nice and normal. Um, I do have to admit, I was a little shocked at their reception later at the church, uh, because the people who came, they really nearly worshiped them. And they literally stampeded out following the event to get a chance to get a picture with them or get some merchandise. I guess I thought this was even more intense because it wasn't like they had performed music or played a sport. They just rather talked just about their life. Fast forward a couple years, and I'm having dinner with a couple of these same stars. And one of them is talking about the work he is doing for a national Christian organization committing to restoring family values to America. Less than a month later, the news broke that he had sexually assaulted girls while he was younger, as well as recently spent, on adult, spent time on adult websites seeking extramarital relationships. Just this week, a state congressman from this state, an outspoken Christian, his wife was actually um, a head of a pro-life uh, national organization, was found to have inappropriate relationship with the men and has just submitted his resignation. I don't think it's a stretch to say that each of us probably knows someone who has professed to be a Christian but has left the faith either due to their own moral failures or because something a Christian has done to them. So what's the difference between the lives I just described? Why do some live incredibly fearless lives and others live a fearful facade? Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for an opportunity to share uh, what you've been stirring in my heart for a while. But most of all, Lord, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you allow uh, me to meet the three people I described. I'm grateful that you allow me to um, be here and get to know and care and love on people that are in your fellowship here. 
Lord, I pray now that as we speak, that you would give me the words to say, the heart to say them with, that you be exalted in all it's said and done. And Lord, may our, we be abandoned to you, and may we surrender all to you. Lord, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to first John, or excuse me, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, it's actually on the screen as well. Um, do you guys remember when Heather was here from CCHO Encouraged, and she talked about foster care? It was her first time. She only worked for us for like a, 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 week, a month, and she was like nervous as all get out. And she, real, she told me later she never realized, she kept looking back at this, never realizing that there was a screen right in front of her that was showing the same thing. So I'm, a, I'm focused on that screen, is what I'm saying. So, so let's start at verse 1, and we're going to read through verse, five, uh, verse 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in, is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of water was made well of whatever disease he had. And it's interesting. We might think that this is actually like an old-time thing. But for those of us that have been to Peru, to Chilca, Peru specifically, um, they actually still have lagoons down there. They believe that there is healing in the water in the lagoons. And so they'll actually, like, put water all over and mud all over them. So it's still, that's a feeling today, too. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. 13,880. Anybody know what that number represents? 13,880. Any guess at all? This is where audience participation was how many days this man had lived with an infirmity that had it been impossible for him to make it to the water. 13,880 days. This invalid's identity was wrapped up in his physical condition. He was dependent on others to take care of him, even to the point of acknowledging that he had no one to carry him to the water. Jesus asked him a question that echoes through the centuries. Do you want to be made well? You know, it's actually a question all of us must address. Do you want to be made well? Whereas other versions translate, do you want to be healed or do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I wonder how many times in those 13,880 days did this man ask himself this same question? Do I really want to get well or am I resigned that this is who I will always be? man, this invalid, was faced with a decision. Am I willing to leave my comfortable identity, to face the unknown, to embrace that there may be a better way, a way to freedom? 
the man, the answer the man initially gives to Jesus is qualified. And don't we a lot of times give our answers to Jesus in qualifications? Do I want to get well? I would, but I have no one who can take me to the water. Ours are similar. I've been too hurt by others. I can't forgive what's been done to me. Or I don't deserve to get well because I've hurt too many others. I don't deserve to get well because I know how bad I am. I know how broken I am. I don't think there's anyone who can put the broken pieces back together. And it's really interesting to me, too, that if you look at Jesus' response here, he doesn't even respond to the man's answer. You notice that? He doesn't say, well, that's too bad. <laughs> that's a bummer. He uh, rather directly asked the invalid to stand up, pick up his mat, and walk. Jesus doesn't mention anything about the man's former identity. Jesus asked him to forget the past 13,880 days and to begin day one with his new identity. To not fear, but to move forward, to pick up his mat, the mat that symbolized his old self, and to walk. To leave his old life and to embark on a new one. So who was this person, Jesus, that could tell a man who was invalid for 38 years to pick up his mat and walk? According to Jesus himself, in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think it's interesting. I think it's Andy Stanley that says that, you know, if you're here this morning and you necessarily are not a Christian, that's okay. We're excited to have you here. We're pumped up to have you here. And you might even wonder why we talk about Jesus so much and how we, why we believe him. We're pretty much convinced that if a man can predict his death, die, and raise again, we probably should follow what he's talking about. And I think that that is right here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you want to get well? Recognize that the same person, Jesus, who healed the invalid, also is willing to heal you spiritually for eternity. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the interesting thing, and I think, again, this is a Kevin Hewitt version, so don't run out saying this, but I actually think you could substitute broken for sinned. For all are broken and fallen short of the glory of God. Think about relationships in your life, your relationship with God. Think about everything that's happened to you. We are all broken. No matter how much we try to hide it, no matter how much we try to overcompensate for it, we're all broken. And it's because of sin that we're all broken. So for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but here's the good news, it doesn't end there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get a happy hand clap? Yeah! So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you have never before had a desire to get well, to acknowledge your need for someone to put the broken pieces back together in your life, man, please see Shane or one of our elders. We would love to talk to you about next steps in a relationship with Jesus. But what does this account have to say to us who already made the decision to follow Jesus? I believe this is a really, really powerful message for us as well. Whether you've been follower, following Christ for decades or if you've just been following him for a short period of time. And I believe it's actually still in direct relationship 
So our opening thoughts on the difference between living an incredibly fearless life and living a fearful facade. And I believe the key to how is how one answers the same question in John 5. Do you want to get well? Do we want the life that Jesus describes in John 10? Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. The abundant life doesn't seem to include living a fearful facade. How do we as Christians avoid living that way, that fearful facade, and instead live incredibly fearless lives? I believe our wellness is summed up in one word, surrender. Surrender. One word. In Luke 9, Jesus tells us, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and it is himself destroyed or lost? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. Surrender looks different in each of us. You know, Shane talked the last couple of weeks about, you know, the, when Jesus first says, let him, if we desire to come after him, let him deny himself. Shane talked about our, our desire a lot of times to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, right, that we can do it. We talked earlier this morning in Sunday school that we have this John Wayne image of a man that, you know, we got to be this tough guy, this tough, you know, and yet we can't do it. No matter how tough we are, no matter how tough we think we are, we can't. We need Jesus. So we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. That's a really interesting concept, take up our cross daily. What does that mean, take up our cross? I'm here to to make a hypothesis, but I believe our cross is our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities, and our brokenness. And the things that we do to medicate those fears, anxieties, insecurities, and brokenness. Carlos Ridiker, I don't know if somebody's there, he actually sang for Integrity Worship, was on North Point, uh, was a director of worship in North Point, a big church down in Atlanta. He has written a book called Kill the Spider, Getting Rid of Really What Holds You Back. In that book, Carlos notes, spiders are agreements you have made with a lie, and those agreements have you bound, and from those lies we spin cobwebs, and cobwebs are medicators that bring false comfort to the lie. And let me unwrap that a little bit. An example of a spider would be your worth equals your platform. In other words, as long as you are um, highly successful, as long as you, for Shane, as long as this church is the biggest church in the world, that's his worth. Or as long as our bank accounts are the biggest bank accounts in the world, that's how our worth is. That's how our worth is. But so what's a cobweb from that? A cobweb from that that lie that we weave would could be social media addiction, right? Are we really, really that concerned about how many likes I get? There's people that are. Can I even tell you that Facebook knew that? 
Facebook knew that if they put like and likes on the bottom of that, that they would be able to sell um, advertising because they knew, because they know human behavior that people would get addicted to it. Isn't that crazy to think that we're played by that? They knew that. Another spider could be that God has abandoned you. So cobwebs we could weave include alcohol addiction, artificial intimacy, pornography. Right? God's abandoned me. Why do I, why do I care? What do, why, why do I even worry about that? Carlos's theory is that we spend a lot of time attempting to clean out the cobwebs. Yet in reality, we need to kill the spider. You know what I mean? Think about it. That's a really great analogy. I love that analogy. To kill the spiders in our lives, to live the abundant life, we need to surrender everything to Jesus daily. Surrender our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities. And here's another challenge. Fear, fears of not only those things which can be hurt us, but also fears of succeeding beyond our wildest imagination. You heard I say that? Not just fears of things that can hurt us, but fears of succeeding beyond our wildest, wildest imagination. Fears that God could be calling us to do something that we are so uncomfortable with that only God could put you there. But can I tell you, there is no greater place. There's no greater place. Do you want to get well? Surrender. Here's the exciting thing about surrendering to Christ. Surrender doesn't bring captivity. You're not surrendering, so you're going to go over and be a captive, a prisoner. Surrendering in Christ brings freedom. What an unbelievable gift. John 8.36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Can you even imagine what our lives would look like in complete freedom? Totally, recklessly free in Jesus. Sans worry, sans anxiety, sans fear. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So what does a surrendered, free, abundant, fearless life look like? I believe it looks a lot like what Paul writes in Philippians 2 that um, Brett read earlier this morning. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, in any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection of mercy, fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And listen to these verses in 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not out, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. The English Standard, Standard Version, ESV, translates verse 3 as, in humility, count others more significant than you. Whether it's esteem others better than yourself or count others more significant, how difficult is this command that Paul shares? In a world that is becoming more against, more us against them. And again, we're allowing the media to a lot of times make us in those, tr those tribes or whether us against them. And becoming more about how we can dehumanize the people where we feel are against us. How can we count others more significant than us? This is my definition of being well. I think being well is having a heart abandoned for the things of Jesus Christ. 
to display the humility and love of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. Do you want to get well? To get well, to have that humility described in Philippians 2, you must be willing to surrender all to the Lordship of Christ. You must be willing to surrender those hurts that you have held on to for years. They've been comfortable. I've lived in fear for years because it's comfortable. You must be willing to uh, surrender those assumptions you might be carrying about someone who looks, smells, acts different, or even, heaven forbid, disagrees with you and humbly, humbly love them. Do you want to get well? Surrender all and revel in the freedom found in Jesus Christ. Another barometer of wellness is transparency, a willingness to be real, to be willing to work on those things in your heart do not bring glory to God. You know the things I'm talking about, the things that even you, when you take a step back yourself, you ask, why did I just do that? Unless maybe it's just me that does those kind of things, <laughs> that do that. Am I willing to let, no, let me rephrase that. Am I willing to allow Jesus to even change those things? Am I willing to surrender? You guys know how much I, if you've been around me, you know how much I like Andy Stanley. He's right below Shane. One of Andy Stanley's many leadership principles is this. We should fear the consequences of concealment more than the consequences of confession. Let me just repeat that. We should fear the consequences of concealment more than the consequences of confession. Take up your cross daily, your fears, your anxieties, and your insecurities, your brokenness, and surrender them to Jesus. Abandon your heart to the one who gave his life for you, Jesus. So what does, I've said this a lot, so what does a yellow light mean? Slow down, no, I'm sorry. So what does a yellow, what does a surrendered, abandoned heart look like? It is a heart that is able to understand, to fully comprehend that God wants what's best for me, to be radically convinced that I am who Jesus says I am and that Jesus is who he says he is. is it, real, it is a really heroic way to live, to live a life surrendered to Jesus with a heart abandoned for Christ. Um, you know, we have a bunch of heroes in here this morning. Some of us have overcome pasts full of pain, abuse, and neglect. Some of us have overcome betrayal that leaves you feeling naked, hurting. Some of you overcome being the abuser, the betrayer. Some of us literally walk into burning houses to save people. Thanks, Tim. Some of us heroically invest in the next generation. Thanks, Coach, for investing in me. But I want to tell you about another hero this morning. A young man who I know has a desire to live his life with a heart surrendered, a heart abandoned for Jesus. I'm talking about Brandon, my son-in-law. You guys heard him earlier this morning. You can tell his passion for the kids he works with. At Christian Children's of Ohio, where we both work, our residential program is for children who have emotional issues that simply does not allow them to live in a family at this time. The abuse, neglect, trauma that each of these kids have experienced has greatly reduced their ability to understand that they have immeasurable worth because of Jesus Christ's death and resurrections. Our kids struggle with the pain of their past, and in that pain enters our treatment specialists, our case managers, our therapists. Brandon is a fantastic therapist in our residential program. One day about a month ago, Michelle, a vivacious, outgoing teen girl, was having a rough day. A couple of the other girls in the cottage 
out of their own, ba- out of their own pain, began telling Michelle that no one liked her. The staff didn't care about her. That's the only reason the staff acted like they cared, because they were paid to. And for some reason, on this day, Michelle began to believe the lies. This beautiful, young, I mean, her smile lights up a room. Already struggling to find her identity, standing right beside her therapist, finally had had enough. And in an instant, climbed a tree and attempted to hang herself from a limb. I'm afraid to say that she would have succeeded without the heroic response of our staff. While several staff on the ground tried to lift up Michelle to put the pressure off the, what she was hanging, her sweatshirt, I think it was, that she had actually tied around the limb. Brandon ran over from cottage one, climbed up the tree, and lifted Michelle up so she released the pressure on her neck. A heart surrendered, a heart abandoned to Jesus. Brandon and other staff simply said, no, not today. This child is not going to be defined by what has happened to her, but she is going to be, she is not going to be another victim enemy. She's going to be She's going to be given the opportunity to understand the immeasurable grace, the incomprehensible worth she has because Jesus Christ loved her enough to die for her. They literally reached through the gates of hell to rescue this young lady. That is what a heart surrendered, a heart abandoned for Jesus looks like. Yeah. Man, that, that's what I want. I want to live in the freedom that only Jesus can give. You know, I've been blessed in many churches, to speak in many churches in my career, and many churches close the service with, uh, with the song of invitation. If you actually go, they have the order of the service and the song of invitation. And while we don't necessarily call our song at the end here at CC, ALCF uh, a song of invitation, I would like to think of it this, that way today. I encourage you to join uh, Brandon and Cable as they lead us in singing the Passion Song, Heart Abandoned. And I also encourage you to surrender today. Surrender your fears, your anxiety, your insecurities, your brokenness. I would also remind you that I know this is really uncomfortable for a lot of you, uh, but an outward expression of surrender is raising your hands. So I would encourage you, even if it's uncomfortable, but if God is urging you, right now to surrender during this song. Lift your hands, surrender, a heart abandoned.
about you, but I would love to get well this morning. If you want to get well, just raise your hands to the Lord Jesus and call out to him. Bless the rest of the day. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.